Oh, the dead don't die Any more than you or I They're just ghosts Welcome to fi- uh, the Dead Don't Die Film Fight film Club Film Fight Club Don't Die Going two years and a half strong Yeah, what an inspiring opening, right? Yeah so this is Glenn Falconstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Yes, the undead Virat Nehru. I'm back this week. <laughs> yes, very undead. He's alive. Back we, from we, the dead. <laughs> and still still alive, uh, Chris Ev- Chris Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans That's staying debatable. alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a big week of filmmaking and movie watching, and we're... And we're all dead. We're all zombie-like. And we rise rise from our graves. To bring We've consumed to enough you. Red Bull to kind of like... Yes, yeah. to wake the dead. <laughs> to wake... I think that's a... Is that a euphemism for something else? I don't know. Waking the dead? All right, cool. We, 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 well, we've risen to the occasion because we are discussing <laughs> later in the program <laughs> the dead don't die. Yes, there's a lot of Red Bull. Um, it was consumed prior to entering the studio. But uh, uh, you of all people making that joke, Glenn, I'm so proud of you. We're going to... <laughs> we, yeah, we're not going to die. Well, even though we're going to have to get through Good Boys first. Yeah, first Ugh. is Good Boys, uh, followed by The Dead Don't Die. Followed by Sad Astronaut. Dad Astra. Brad Astra. Ad Astra. The movie. James Gray's sequel to Velocity of Z, but set yeah. in space. Well, yeah, pretty much. Right, so that is uh, we will be talking about later in the program, as well as on our podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, just keep listening. But if you are listening on air, just subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and podcasts everywhere. We, we, can we find can't, podcasts we can't everywhere. stop promoting our podcast. It's we just obligatory. It's damn straight. But first, we are talking about Good Boys, starring, which is in cinemas now, starring Jacob Tremblay from Room. Not The Room, very different movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's talk about good boys, right? None of us have seen it except for Virat. Yeah, well, yeah. boy of all of us. <laughs> Chris, and I, what were we doing that night? Uh, something else. Well, so, something else. Something as, better. As as a token good boy on the panel, and uh, as all Indian mums tell me that I am the goodest of the all good boys available. So, uh, <laughs> you, you, was it just a personal promotion there? <laughs> hey, I'm available. I'm Rod. I'm available. available. <laughs> <laughs> wow, going out of the airwaves. Here. Well, I'm, I'm trying not to talk about this film, which is so uninspiring. So, finding finding ways not to talk about it. But okay, good boys. Why did this film exist? I, I saw mean, the trailer for it before we saw um, Booksmart. And you know how Booksmart is just like super bad, but girls? This was like... Super okay. bad, but with kids. Yeah. Essentially that. Exactly. It's, it's the same template. In fact, it's, it is so uninspiring. Like, there's no point to it. Like, you know, it's like if you've seen that movie, and it is produced by Seth Rogen and stuff, and pretty much says on the poster from the guys that brought you super bad and blah and blah and blah. But then why should I watch Good Boys? Because it's exactly the same movie. It's like seeing the same movie like seven times, except with like different age groups. So it's about two teenagers, or not teenagers, who go out no, and search except- for alcohol to get to a party so they can. Well, it, 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 is very, it, it, is, it is almost very similar. Like, you know, instead of teenagers, now they're sixth graders. So they're three friends. So it's a movie about friendship and, you know, male bonding and, like, how are we going to be besties for life? Hey, I, I like stories about three friends and you should subscribe to our podcast. Continue, please. <laughs> <laughs> well played. It's, it's smooth. 95.3 FM. Anyway. <laughs> the, 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 the promotion what? is just coming thick and fast. 107.3. Well, this is 107.3 you're listening to. That is correct. But you're very smooth, Glenn. But the point is, okay, so this is about three friends. One of them is Jacob Tremblay. There's also uh, Keith Williams and Brady Noon. Uh, see, I had to look it up because it was so, I'd forgotten all about it, thankfully, and I've blocked this film out of my memory. But, okay, the three friends, six Raiders, 
basically thinking they're adults. Uh, but, you know, so one of them wants to basically make out with a chick, and this whole escapade starts from there. So they they borrow a drone of one of the, you know, their dad's drone to basically spy on their neighbor, uh, who is an adolescent teen, to work out how kissing works so that they can learn how to kiss. It is very creepy. When I actually, actually, now that I'm recounting the plot, it is so inherently it, it, it creepy. Sounds really creepy. This sounds like not just an episode of The Big Bang Theory, but a bad episode of The Big Bang Theory. But also, like, it is so Young hard. Sheldon? To, yeah. Oh, Oh no! I don't. I don't watch that but show. Like, I don't. The whole to. point I was watching, the whole time I was watching this film, I could not forget the fact that these are supposed to be sixth graders. Like I couldn't buy. They're pretending to be older than they are and trying to be cool. But isn't that the isn't gag that what, of the isn't movie? That what kids, isn't that what a lot of kids do, especially at that edge? You know. Maybe, maybe I felt old. Maybe that's right. Maybe like I, I was like, you know, I didn't do nothing of that shit back when I was in like <laughs> sixth grade, or like I wasn't even like. Okay, drones didn't exist, part one, so that was part of the problem. But also, like, just, you know, it was just like, I was like, wow, maybe I am old now. Maybe this is what pe- this is what kids do now. Can I, I ask, guess. who is this film aimed at? Well, who is the target demographic for this movie? I don't know, but it's, it made like $100 yeah, million dollars, to, like, worldwide. And like, it's, 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 it seems kind of weird, It is an though. R movie, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's weird. It it's kind of seems weird, like, come and see a, like, a crass sex comedy, you know, but with 12-year-olds. Like isn't that yeah. isn't that a kind of strange marketing proposition? But it, it's it's the same template though. Like you know, they go, they have to escape, they have to then, you know, the drone basically gets destroyed. Right. So the whole charade is they have to go and buy another drone to replace the drone before the dad comes back, so they can find out another. Who hasn't been there? And that's what that's what the movie is about. <laughs> that's the movie. Yeah, but also then discovering how to kiss. So like there are all these sort of like prepubescent activities that they have to go through, like hurdles. And so they they're going to, to get exposed to booze, sex, and drugs, right? Yeah. Okay. Except like, you know, PG versions of it. So it's not sex, it's just kissing. And right. Like French kiss is like a big deal kind of thing. You but know? it but it's like lots of swearing, so it gets the heavy yeah. rating or So like I was so confused, yeah. That's the thing, like because suddenly they're so self conscious that oh we can't talk about booze, sex and blah blah blah. But also then they're trying to do exactly that. So I was just like I don't know what this film was trying to do. So confused. So out of ten? I know that we usually do that, but I'm curious what your rating would yeah. be. Two rubber chickens out of ten. Ooh, Ooh. that's so heavy. <laughs> that's two rubber chickens out of ten for Good Boys, which is in cinemas yeah. now. See it at your own peril, apparently. Yeah, it's it's a bad film about Good Boys. And next, <laughs> Good film, Boys, bad film. <laughs> uh, another bad film we're talking about is The Dead Don't Die. We reviewed it during the Sydney Film Festival and is in cinemas tomorrow. It is the latest feature from Jim Jarmusch. It stars Bill Murray. Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton as Zelda Winston, <laughs> Zelina Gomez, Austin Butler, who was recently cast as Elvis and has also seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Iggy Pop, Tom Waits, um, and a few other of Jim Jarmusch's All best of, friends. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's just Jim Jarmusch's pals, his musician friends and his actor friends in a zombie movie. Ooh. Set in, was it West Virginia? It's Isn't it called like Centerville or Town? town? Yeah, it's the Midwest. It's, it's the very, Midwest. It's, it's the Midwest. It's, it's, it's a small the... town. In the it's Midwest. The Trump's America left behind. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Steve Buscemi, who has the He's Trump wearing a make, hat. make America White Again hat. That's right, because yeah. we see what you did there. And it is about a movie about zombies who descend on the small town. We had some, not high hopes, but decent hopes for this movie, because Jim John Moshe's last film was great. Patterson, yeah, that's right. Also with yeah. Adam Driver. He, he's, re- he's following up one of his best films with his worst. This is his worst film. Which is yeah. really surprising. Um, my, I, I was always skeptical of this film because, to me, zombies are played out as a genre and zombie parodies and, and zombie comedies 
um, even more so. It's like it feels really five or ten years too late to come and make a, a zombie parody now when there was such an influx of them from maybe 2004 till 2013, 2015. But also, like, this whole film is so heavy-handed and it's George Romero kind of inspired look. Yeah. And I'm like, I can just go watch a George Romero movie because that at least... You know, it's well, sincere because it felt insincere yeah. after a well, point. He's, tr- I think, he is trying to go back to the Romero template, where it, it's very strongly about the social commentary and it's very strongly political. But, but it's, no, it's not. It's, things, yeah. it's not actively about social commentary. Zombie films are usually a metaphor for something. A lot of low-budget films forget this and just have a lot of action. This is a huge-budget film with massive resources behind it, and there's no apparent commentary or uh, interest beyond no. let's uh, you know have some zombies. Let's have no, 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 no. I disagree with that. The, and Chardonnay. I think the, yeah, I think there the, the political commentary, if anything, is like too obvious. It's like here's Trump's America, where everyone's just sleepwalking into doom. Um, you know, nobody, bad things are happening and everyone's turning a blind eye and nobody cares. There's this environmental catastrophe and people just keep on going about their day-to-day life and they're obsessed with, you know, give me coffee, give me Xanax. Yeah, it was, was, like, if anything, the political commentary is, like, too just obvious. Like, um, I I get the intention to reclaim the zombie genre, like, bring it right back to that, um satire of materialism etc but like at the end of the movie it gets so broad about that where you know here they are sleepwalking through life you know talking about the products they love but that's what george romero was doing 40 years ago in the original dawn of the dead like yeah like it, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't build upon that it, it doesn't, doesn't build upon it it doesn't, doesn't really make different. it more contemporary yeah nothing postmodern about it it's, in fact it's like this could be said in any time well speaking of uh actually the meta elements to it this film tried to also have it taking it to with the breaking the fourth wall very blatantly i don't believe this was scripted the moment comes across as hackneyed certainly when bill murray talks about his relationship with jim jarmusch um that was There's very a lot frustrating of, oh, breaking yeah. the fourth wall but the message of the movie seems to be, as I was talking about before with all the sleepwalking into the apocalypse, just kind of a shrug. But unfortunately, the filmmaking also feels like a shrug. So the whole movie is just kind of depressing, but not in the set, in the way that I think Jamush wants it to be. It's just kind of depressing in that we're looking into a huge amount of talented people and a void of creativity. The, the, there's basically one joke to the film, which is just... And ha- driver in the car? yeah. How how deadpan everything is, and how at, you're right. There is a, a, a really great it's a great sight gag, gag in there, but yeah. it surprises oh, you and because Tilda Swinton, who's very good. Yes, yeah, it. But that sight gag it comes as a, as a surprise and a relief because most of the film isn't that visually creative. It's just it's kind of flat um, visually by design, and the characters are being ultra deadpan um, in a a way that will be familiar to Jim Jamush fans. But here it's really pushed into overdrive. Um, Nobody seems all that shocked or upset by the zombies. Everyone kind of almost accepts their fates flatly. Um, the gag about how deadpan the characters are being and um, their awareness of the tropes of the genre, I found kind of funny for the first 15, 20 minutes, but then you realize that that's all he's got. It was really for the kind first of, 15, kind of, 20 times. Yeah, kind of like yeah. how the theme song is yeah, played. We, we opened the episode. 120 times. That's right. We opened the episode with the Dead Don't Die. We won't play again, we promise. <laughs> Not Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, with the, <laughs> with the Dead Don't Die theme song, which I thought was a pretty what funny What a great gag. song, eh? Jim yeah. Sturgill. Yeah, what yeah, a talent. No, Sturgill, Sturgill Simpson, Dead Don't Die. Um, it's funny, in my opinion, the, maybe the first one or two times it comes on but then it keeps repeating throughout the film and it feels like Jamush went into this project 
not having thought through it enough. He went into it without enough ideas and he tried to pave over that by relying on the talents of his friends who basically owe him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, or, or will, a lot. Will, yeah, or will, will um, happily come out to hang with him no matter what the project is. I mean, this still could be a great short, to be honest. Like, yeah, you know, this was, I'd watch this, a half-hour version. Yeah, but like, there's no, it's not a feature. There's nothing to withstand beyond that score idea of material kind of, you know, Beyond that, Tom Waits doing creepy Tom Waits looks. was all right, but if you want to watch a good Tom Waits movie, with he's in it for a bit, go see the Coen Brothers film, the anthology that was released. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, yes. much better. He was much yeah. better in that too. Yeah. yeah. So, well, this is yeah, this is unfortunately not the best of any of the actors. Even even Bill Murray feels wasted, which I wouldn't say for a lot of the things because his shtick does get really old really quickly. Which is sad because he does his shtick really well. But he was the best in the film. He seemed so, uh, uh, Tilda Swinton was the best in the movie as the Scottish mortician who was absolutely handed up and kind of got the register that the film could otherwise have gone if it would have been a good but movie. The, the Tilda Swinton type stuff, I, I thought, like, what really, what is the point about this? Beyond yeah, just that was the most, absurd, the most absurd part. Of Bill it. Murray is the guy most known for his deadpan, but he, he's been practicing it for so long that he invested with some actual sadness and some other layers yeah. of emotion in a way that I think Adam Driver, who is one of my favorite current actors utterly fails to do in this um i i liked visually some of the the uh, ways that the forest is filmed and the um tom waits character very reminiscent of the recent series of twin peaks but you know just go watch that instead it where well, actually, some of these visual ideas are done better if you want an anime driving movie where in this part of the world vaguely go see logan lucky so much better so much more entertaining yeah, I wouldn't say more entertaining, but yeah, better definitely. I, I, I like Logan Lucky. Like it's very spirit. different from this film, but yeah, yeah. The, you've, you know, the, I went into this thinking, why do we need another zombie comedy? And I'm not sure why after having watched. But the that's film. the thing. This wasn't even funny for the most part, so I wouldn't even call it a comedy. As much. I had about two laughs in this. Um, yeah. I wouldn't recommend. It, there's, there's better films to go out and see. Certainly better yeah. Jim Jarmusch films and better films oh, with any of the cast from this movie. Um, that is The Dead Don't Die. It is in cinemas tomorrow and it's screened originally at the Sydney Film Festival. We'll be back after the break talking all things Brad Astra. Fat Astra. Sad Astra. Dad in space. Sad dad Brad Astronaut The movie. daddest movie of this year. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Spring is here and Sydney Fringe Festival is in full swing. This year, Fringe comes to the CBD as we take over the City Tattersalls Club and the Rocks throughout September along with an enormous program spread right across Greater Sydney. Immerse yourself in 30 days of theatre, comedy, circus, live music, dance, food and lots more. Celebrate some of the best independent live performance this city has to offer. Book your tickets at sydneyfringe.com today. 2SER is a media partner of Sydney Fringe. Considering postgraduate study, UTS offers strong connections to industry and understands the demands of your changing work environment. So don't leave your future waiting. Join one of our postgraduate info sessions this month. Search now for UTS postgraduate events and register today. To SCR sponsors. Spring into action these school holidays with the National Institute of Dramatic Art. NIDA Open offers holiday short courses for all ages across multiple Sydney locations. Choose from acting, directing, musical theatre, TV presenting, writing and more. Nurture your creativity this spring with NIDA. Book your spring holiday course at open.nida.edu.au. NIDA sponsors 2SCR 107.3.
on the money is recommended for mature audiences only. It may and probably will contain explicit financial language, strong business themes, economic violence, coarse financial accounting, nudity, and credit references. 2SCR recommends discreet listening once per week at 7 p.m. Thursdays. And welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we are talking all things Ad Astra. The new film from director James Gray bought us Lost City of Z a couple of years ago. This is starring Brad Pitt as Roy McBride in the near future. He is an astronaut and the son of a famed astronaut played by Tommy Lee Jones, who disappeared some decades back. However, following the spectacular wreck of a very large antenna, which Pitt is tasked working on, it is discovered by Pitt that his father may very well still be alive in the outer edges of the solar system and is sent into space on a mission regarding his father's whereabouts. This this is the first, actually, I was looking at this is the first mainstream release reviewed in the few weeks, and certainly this isn't the type of film you would generally get in a mainstream release. No. Um, James Gray comes from the independent world, um, or his last few films have been smaller releases, and this definitely feels way more of a piece with them than it does with anything that's come out of a major studio in a while. Chris pointed out to me, and I went back and listened, and he's absolutely right, to episode of, one of our very first episodes where we reviewed The Lost City of Z, and I half-joked, half-opined that I wish this sort of film would be sent in space. Chris pointed out at the time that James Gray was working on a space movie, and it is finally here. And here and it is. So it's Lost City of Z in I'm space. I'm so glad it exists. Um, this is a beautiful film. It had a lot of the things I wanted from Interstellar and First Man, but so, so much more. It's a lot better than First Man. It's a lot better than First no, Man I, and much better than Interstellar. Actually, I'd, I'd like you to expand on that first, because that's an interesting, you know thought thread okay well I'll do both I think those are, that expands us into much broader discussion yeah. regarding Interstellar it dealt with the wonder and expanse of the Great White Open certainly I think this film for reasons we'll go into captures the wonder of that better oh so oh, well, yes we'll, it does there is a similar sequence involved there was the famed docking sequence in Interstellar a brilliant sequence and a not dissimilar sequence in this film I will say Interstellar I think did that better regarding First Man this that relied also on well not as stated in First Man an internal monologue and a character reflection and us being able to um, engage with them and the idea of mourning or grief in a sense. This, um, Roy McBride had a, a stronger internal monologue going throughout the film. In the hands of Pitt, I think it worked well. It didn't come across as hackneyed or overwrought and he brought us along with this journey. I felt his pain and his resonance and certainly how that's reflected in his journey through space um, much more than in, with Neil Armstrong. Um, with the device used, a very symbolic device used at the end of First Man, I couldn't stand. This does have a strong degree of symbolism. However, it is the symbolism in this film in several respects is much better handled. Talking about all these other space films that have come out, it's interesting how we've had such a trend of them in recent years, and I'm wondering what's causing it. Is it because we crave actual space exploration and <laughs> it's not happening? Well, the reports this week have been massive. Australia's looking at investing in... Um, in, well, I think we're going to be sending maybe some space vehicles of sorts. Interesting. Know, with NASA. But, uh, I'll, I'll respond to that first, but uh, I'll let you finish. Uh, I, I'm wondering if it's because the, the CG has reached a point where it's just kind of cheap to make space movies, like metallic objects and big blank voids or something that's fairly cheap to render now that CG is everywhere. I'm not sure what it is, but I found this kind of to the film's detriment because I don't think the way that space is visualized is radical or different enough in this film despite some very nice images 
for it to really stand out because I'm thinking while watching this, yeah, this kind of looks like gravity. Yeah, this kind of looks like Interstellar. Yeah, this kind of looks like First Man. I think this kind of imagery is something we're just kind of oversaturated it with in, in, at the moment and it's losing its wonder a little bit. I disagree in two respects. One, their depiction of celestial bodies, which haven't generally been covered in mainstream cinema. Wally is an exception, though. That was a very passing exception. Also, and one of my favorite things about this film, it is set in the near future, we're not exactly sure when, but it's the depiction, it's rather than space, of how space has been, areas in space have been commodified. We that was interesting. to the moon, and we don't want to spoil what goes on there, but it's, it's a so version much, of it. The idea behind this film is that humans can't help but bring their worst impulses to anywhere they go in the galaxy. It's a pretty pessimistic view of humanity and also of the human condition. Okay, uh, so I'll respond uh, bit by bit because it is really interesting the threads we explored. Firstly, about why I think there are so many space movies happening. Uh, beyond the microcosm of you know CG being improved and th- things like that, I think there are two reasons. Firstly, I think the postmodern anxiety of that the world is coming to an end. I think this is our generation yeah. and our kind of world's most strongest kind of felt impulse. I mean, what's happened at the UN Climate Summit right now? I mean, so it, it's it's real that, you know, we had, you know, uh, world over, we had a generation of people marching, which is, hasn't happened for a long time. So if anything that is like brought people together in this generation, it is that... Environment yeah, is a this, strong theme in this yeah, movie. Yeah, and and the, without being um, too obviously stated. Yeah, yes. so that's, I think, one reason, because I feel like that's really uniting the arts community in some sense, that that is a statement that they can get behind. The other thing, which the I think... The desire to leave Earth. Yeah. <laughs> because there's no support for the arts on this Earth, at least. Right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's out there. Yeah, and the question of, is this all we have? Do we need to look after this yeah. Earth more? And, and and the other thing, because I feel this is closely tied, is the exploration of, of masculinity. Because I think these mm. are, as much as exploration of space, it is also exploration of men and men in general. Very much is. Very much. You know, it's a dad movie. It is about how men who are tormented, who are grieved, how do they deal with their own grief? And oh my God, it's so much grief and so much, yeah. you know, men have to deal with so much it, and they are so tortured. And, they, and many are. And this deals with it maturely. It's funny, though, that space has become a way of exploring masculinity. There's all these space dad movies, Contact, Interstellar, This, First Man. But it's interesting how those threads are coming together, especially how we we are at the stage of, I feel these are the two biggest sort of, you know, climactic shifts in how people are looking at the world about, you know, we have to leave this earth because it's not sustainable. Mm. And second, we have to reevaluate how we treat each other. And I feel that's part of that kind of thing. So I think how that's come together in this kind of space exploration, dad movies, it's an interesting sort of uh, submerging. So I'd like to, we're going to go into so much more detail on, this, on the podcast. I'd like to talk about a couple of my detractions for this film. Yeah, me too. Um, one, it's the very simple thing, guns in space. Really, really. Um, there was one sequence to that effect, and it was an unnecessary action sequence. It had no consequence in the film, and it didn't actually make sense in the context of the universe that was established, given the security that had otherwise been established. Look, the thing about that scene for me, there, there's a few of these action beats in the film. I think James Gray's put them in there to, to keep people's attention in otherwise what's a quite introspective and slow-paced film. I actually really like this as an action scene. I think it's so fantastically directed. Um, I can buy it. Uh, there's a, I've watched the film again since we saw it, yep. and there's a little bit more context given to it, but still, not. I agree. It's a, it, it stretches believability. But 
It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, the, the cool action sequence is the one, I wouldn't start with so much an action sequence, but a horror sequence that happened next. This has my favorite jump scare of the whole year. There's a jump scare that takes place on one of the many scenes mirroring Apocalypse Now, but it, where the Willard character stops and says, no, no, we uh, don't want to explore this, but no, the crew said we have it's to. It's so surreal. It could, it's the stuff of like pulp sci-fi horror fiction, but it's also plausible within this film's universe. It's not just that it's plausible, it's that the imagery is so novel yeah. and because it's so shocking and unique it, when it comes at you quite literally it is unnerving and it's about as unnerved that I've been in the film all year but moreover because this isn't a horror film it's just one horror beat in an otherwise traditional drama thriller but and that's why it works so well but that yeah, and the, I, the I lost my plans for that one but that and the lunar buggy action scene I think both serve to uh, fill in this thesis that space is chaotic and bizarre and leads people to madness and it's dangerous. I, I could have bought the buggy sequence if there was... I, I don't think there was much context established for it. I feel they did establish necessarily who had control in certain areas and having established that, it was harder to buy that such a situation, such a um, fatal situation would or even could transpire. Having said that, um, some of the imagery, particularly with the solar, I think there were solar panels on the moon, but nice touch too, yeah. was especially Look, the, good. The aspect of the world building, of trying to imagine what it would really be like if we colonized space, is fantastic. Um, my problems with this film are more about what it tries to do, which is, uh, first and foremost, which is be a character study. I think the ways that um, the char- that Brad Pitt's character uh, is explained to the audience are so unsubtle to the point that it's kind of insulting. There's this constant voiceover explaining what Brad Pitt is um, is f- thinking and feeling at all times, and I part of me wonders if this is a concession to the studio because I've heard that it it, it does feel like it that. feels like it. And James Gray is usually such a subtle filmmaker, and I have heard. Um, reports that he has had to make some concessions in making this but it feels so unnecessary because periodically through the film there are scenes where Brad Pitt explains sometimes truthfully and sometimes trying to hide things to a computer what he's feeling as part of a psychological evaluation and all of those scenes feel completely unnecessary to me because they're not revealing anything extra as they would be if we didn't have the voiceover it's never a surprise to learn that he's thinking or feeling this it's the most elegant extension of what I've seen in 2001 which has been mimicked through how many films in terms of the two characters three characters relationship with Hal but I haven't seen it done similarly quite so well as I have here Mm. and well Brad I do yeah I really do love those those talking to the computer scenes it's just that it's like, what's the point of them when we're always hearing the internal monologue of this this guy's thoughts? There's no there's no mystery. The movie seems otherwise designed to make you wonder what he's thinking between those scenes and make you wonder if he's being truthful because there's a lot of great close-ups on Brad Pitt's face of him emoting and you can feel that he has all this internal anguish. It doesn't need to be told to us. I was talking to Chris over dinner about, I think, the biggest uh, problem and the biggest, I think, drawback, which is also the, one of the strengths of the film, is that this film promises so much more than it actually delivers. and But also it is promising in a way that these are dangling threads which never get explored as much as they could have. I mean, as Glenn was talking about, this film is so much more cerebral, but also does it in a way, when it's talking about human emotion, much better than a lot of those other space movies. Like Interstellar, which I felt was pretty cold-hearted, apart from... But you know, trying really hard to be super trying, sentimental. Yes, you know. But I think this film, on the other hand, doesn't try super hard to be about human emotions. Uh, what it accomplishes in, in being a slow character pace study over time is that you do care about 
the human element more than the cerebral element, which is, you know, it is about humanity and what what we need and everything else like that. But in the end, it is still very much about the hope element. Yeah, and the, but the, exploring that through pessimism, which is a weird way to do about it. But in the end, I was left with a kind of weird well, the, feeling of hope. We yeah, we discussed the end um, so much to unpack there. I think we should discuss that the spoilers, spoilers on the podcast. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. But um, without going into spoilers here, I feel like the way that that's explored here, uh, um, the element of family is much more convincing than, say, in Interstellar. Oh, definitely. Um, much more nuanced, uh, much less cheaply sentimental. And human for being counterintuitively handled and in respects, very anticlimactic. So, yeah, but, yeah. So we're going to be talking in much more detail, including a spoiler discussion with Ad Astra on the podcast. Ad Astra is in cinemas now. It really is worth seeking out. We haven't even discussed some of the visuals, which are absolutely stunning. And we haven't got into how it is Space Cowboys 2. Um, a big <laughs> attraction more to discuss the on the podcast. No, and also no, this no has, Glenn. It, well, Not it, Space it, Cowboys. It, it, it is. It also has, oh, we haven't mentioned Liv Tyler. And you could be forgiven because she really is it in Oh, in man, talk movie. about concessions. Big, we'll get into that. Big, big issues there. Um, and we're coming back next week talking about a few different things, including Joker, the new Todd Phillips film, which is getting a lot of buzz out of Venice and all around the world. <sighs> I mean, I'm excited to discuss it. I'm not convinced I'll like the film, but maybe, you know. It's so hard to get me on board with anything comic book related these days, but we'll but see. It's so far from the MCU. And it's all right. thank, That's yeah. the only thing that, that's giving me some hope. We'll quit clowning and we'll get on board. Joaquin Felix, when, when, when is he had a bad we'll performance? never quit clowning, Brad. <laughs> when? Yeah, Phoenix rises. Uh, why so serious is a question I would ask to James Gray with Ad Astra. Yeah. When's he going to make a comedy? Yeah, exactly. Apparently he's really funny in person, but his movies are always so damn serious. I, I don't think so. Like, I like I like it. I like contemplative. That's the word I would use. I wouldn't say serious. Contemplative. I want to think about the world in cinema and, and as, a, as a man, about what it's mean to be a man in the world. So stay tuned for The Sonic Assassin. This has been Glenn Fowling and Chris Evans of Rotnayru. If you're listening live, join us on the podcast soon. If you're listening to the podcast, keep listening. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Bye. And welcome back to Film Fight We are talking all things Ad Astra. Um, just a couple of things to note that are happening around town this week. Film Club are having a really cool event at Palace Central as part of their 94 series. Or part of the, on, Tangerine sorry, Dream. Tangerine Dream series, excuse me. Um, and also, this is a 1994 film. As I said, Legend with Legend is not from 1994. No, it is not. It's a much earlier film. Yes. <laughs> with the Ridley Scott Tom Cruise movie, which I haven't seen. I'm 1985, really I believe. Oh, God, it's really early Tom Cruise. Yeah. Really early Tom Cruise. That is happening. It inspired th- The Legend of Zelda. It's that old. I love Majora's Mask. Better than Ocarina of Time, controversial opinion. And that will be screening on 8.30 at Palace Central on Friday night. Also screening throughout the weekend, copy of the Korean Film Festival in Australia are doing a retrospective on Bong Joon-ho, Memories of Murder. The host. Basically everything he's made will be showing, and it's free at Dendi Opera Keys. So... Yeah, city-based listeners, You, unless you're doing something else on Friday and Saturday night. Watching the rugby or something. But yeah. you should, should probably go to this. Really no excuse. These are great films, and it's free. Can't argue with free. Now, you might be wondering, where's Varat Nehru? But he had a pop Well, the answer is we killed him. No, we, we, we didn't <laughs> he, kill him. He's he part actually, of the dead don't die horde. Yeah. You can see him in West Virginia. He, he might, he, he, he's dead, but he didn't die, so he'll be back with us next week. But, um, yeah, no, talking you, Joker and Gemini Man. Yeah, um, he had to go. Here to go. And sadly, before we recorded this extra podcast bit for you. So we, we here it is, just me and Glenn. Whiling away in space, yeah. somewhere out in the outer room. So uh, back to uh, Astra. Okay, 
the casting in this movie. We'll get to Liv Tyler in a sec, but first of all, the fact that there are not one but two space cowboys in this movie is incredibly distracting. And moreover, I'm going to ruin space cowboys here if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, don't go see it. It's terrible. But in that movie with Tommy Lee Jones and Donald Sutherland, Donald Sutherland is fleetingly in this movie too. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character gets lost in space. And Donald Sutherland's like the wise fellow who it's has kind to support of strange the crowd. Seeing them all turn up here in the same sort of context, but in a much more serious down movie. So it's a questionable, I think, distracting piece of casting. I mean, that's without getting into how Agent K feels about all this. I mean, Agent K would be kind of worried about what's going on. Liv Tyler is the other distracting bit of casting. God, because yeah, she, she's like, basically doing the same thing she does in Armageddon, which is just you know look sadly at screens and be sad about my man is in space. When's Ben Affleck? Sorry, I mean Brad Pitt going to hurdle back towards Earth. But yeah, this movie um, doesn't need Liv Tyler. She has nothing to do in this film. And apparently she was not in the film at all until studio-mandated reshoots. And you can really feel it because it's such a thin, cliche, suffering wife role and there's nothing more to it. It's absolutely needless. Um, it it, it disserves by putting her in such a small part, but either not have the role at all, give her or left Tyler a more it, substantive role. It just role. feels condescending, like she, like yeah. her, I am the woman. And you know what? The sad woman in the movie about sad men. And I, I have to watch it again, maybe Chris, because I've only seen it twice, but it's not apparent to me that her and Brad Pitt ever actually met or were in the same room for the purposes of shooting this film. Yeah, they, they may well have never actually filmed together. Which is pathetic. Um, I encourage you on this matter to go out and read a vulture, the Vulture piece by Bilge Elbury, Send Liv Tyler to Space. Now, there was a Liv Tyler Space movie a couple of years ago, but the argument is if she's going to be, you know, forlorn in all these movies waiting for a man to come back, send her in a space mission right. because she's, she's earned it. The thing about her role in this, if we think of it as a studio-mandated concession that James Gray was forced to make, is why did they think that this would make the film more appealing? That what Brad Pitt's character is too weird... So let's make him relatable by giving him a, a wife at home. But that aspect is so underdeveloped he and so half, half-hearted half that, like, why is it there? He doesn't need a romance. He's already a relatable person. It's a lot of the time why romance element is shoehorned in. Oh, so, so much relationship about- with, it, You know what it actually reminds me of? Yeah. So Star Wars, Luke actually does not have a romantic arc because the relationship is about the one, the key relationship is with his father. And that was fine. Well, that's Ad Astra. And in Ad Astra, it's certainly about Brad Pitt's relationship, Roy's relationship with his father. But here, this romantic element's just shoehorned and shoved in. It's unnecessary. I think part of the reason why this film doesn't work for me is that not compl- I, I like the film overall, but a lot of it doesn't connect. And I think it's that so much of it seems designed to make sure that this Brad Pitt, Roy McBride character is relatable to the audience when everything else about the way that the film is made visually and structurally seems like it's meant to be a kind of contemplative film where um, what's going on inside Brad Pitt's mind is is left there for the audience to kind of sit with and think about and um, for him to be a little bit mysterious and it feels like somebody's freaked out that there's a um, kind of emotionally distant lead man so they've done everything in their power to make him as transparent as possible from the, the voiceover to you know the adding Liv Tyler into it. I think they saw First Man and thought that it could have the negative effect of that movie. However, Brad Pitt is simply, at least in this context, a better actor. I think he's a better actor than Ryan Gosling. And, and it's definitely it's a, better a better performance. Film. It's a better film in general. Yeah. Um, further to that, 
the visuals in this film are stunning. There are a few that I'll highlight my favorite of the film, which is the opening sequence where um, a character is seen falling down a vast stratospheric The character's Brad Pitt. The character's it's like the Brad first Pitt. scene of the film. Okay, it's the first scene of the movie. <laughs> we can spoil that. We, we can spoil the first scene of the movie. There's a uh, major catastrophic event on this giant antenna, the biggest one I've ever seen, the biggest one any in the world has ever seen. And the character and a lot of debris just falls, and we see the camera just drop and coming back down to earth. And there was a similar sequence, a similarly staged sequence, however, going up at the beginning of Avengers: Infinity War, where Spider-Man attaches to the, the spacecraft. But this is so much better and so much more colorful. There's much rendered. more imagination, honestly, and from James Gray. He's he's in another league of directors from the Russos or whoever <laughs> together the Marvel. Thing. I'd also describe um, a sequence on One Celestial Body, which is very beautiful, which is eerily reminiscent, I will say, of Blade Runner 2049, though I say we'll say not derivative. It, the, I just wasn't, like I said in earlier on in the show, I just wasn't that transported by a lot of the imagery in this. Um, it does feel too kind of reminiscent. Like the, the Mars stuff is striking, but it is very much kind of like, Blade Runner twenty forty nine and in the simplicity of it, the um you know big open spaces and red you know harsh red lighting. I preferred the Mars in Total Recall, frankly. <laughs> um, and there's Astomars. Future Astomars. You are not you. You are me. Yes. And there's also great visuals later, which we're gonna. I think we should talk about in spoilers. Is there anything we want to discuss prior to our spoilers discussion? I don't think so. I don't think so. Let's go actually. Into- no, there isn't. Let's go. Okay, so from now on, we are spoiling Ad Astra. This is a spoiler warning for all of Ad Astra. You've been warned. Okay, so we're just going to give a breakdown for those who may or have not seen the film or I don't have an interest in seeing the movie. What effectively happens is Brad Pitt goes to Mars where he finds out that his father, as hidden from him, was responsible for... Chris? Oh, well, I was was going to say, um, now that we're discussing this... Oh, we should talk about the spacecraft and the scare. Oh no! no well, you're, you're reminding me of one of the issues I had in the film, which I guess it, it's better to talk about in the spoiler discussion than in the regular, since I can actually get into detail. Um, there's just way too many coincidences in what drives this plot along. It's it's it feels like a bit much when Brad Pitt goes to the moon, where Donald Sutherland gives him a USB stick that reveals some secret information. Very he convenient. Goes, yeah, and convenient. Donald Sutherland, this, this, this astronaut who they say, oh, he's going to be with you this whole mission. But no, now I feel old and tired. Here you go, Brad Pitt. All this information take you shouldn't have secret, that you need. Yeah. God, Take this on. secret USB stick. Then Brad Pitt goes to Mars, where Ruth Nigger gives him a secret USB stick with, with the information that's been kept Which from him again. Which was bull, because that... Okay, her motivation for helping him, we should explain... Um, oh, before actually, before we get into that, just on the, some of the stuff on the moon, um, the production design with the you know fake alien sitting on the moon surface at the Disneylandish resort was great. But the whole chase, we can get we can get into this now. They established that there are these multiple secu- U.S. security bases on the moon, but there's this one small strip of, la- of moonland where they can't go because there are pirates. Surely there would be more security on the way to this mass or surrounding you'd this think, massive U.S. space base. Yeah, you'd think that if they have this big base on the dark side of the moon, that they would ensure that there's a safe route to it. Because if just getting there every time there's a decent chance that you're going to get killed by pirates, then doesn't that just seem like? Yeah, you're right. That just doesn't make sense within the logic of the film. Yeah, I can a lot of people th- on the secret, non-secret yeah, secret. There's a lot of people on this space, base. base, but simply getting off the base, it seems like you know, simply like to get to the base from the main landing points on the moon, 
Um, it seems like being attacked by space pirates is routine. They explain that this, the pirates are being given refuge by some country, which is a nice bit of dialogue to avoid alienating any potential box office contributing nation out there. But anyway, some country... Yeah, yeah, yeah. which nation recently um, managed to photograph the dark side of the moon for the first time? Not sure. What yeah. nation did this film not want to, you know, yeah. maybe get screened in? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, some nation... They literally say some some nation oh God, okay. is harboring them. Anyway... So some nation harbors space pirates. I can I can buy that. I can buy that there's some kind of animosity between the international uh, spaces on, on the moon. I can't buy that the U.S. military would allow the the route between the place everyone arrives on the moon and their their base to be ju- just constantly harassed with all of the u.s military might they would have they would have cleared that out or they would have yeah. built a tunnel or something they, they would, they with, would have built, they with would have, impenetrable. Yeah. Ar- yeah. You know, metal and, armor around the tunnel, and I love the exploration of space law and space piracy. But we really don't get into that. It's not a major element of the film. It's, it's a cool idea. It's, That's it, it's, I, it's passing. It's, it's a cool idea. It just so pleasing. You just can't buy it within the the. It just didn't make sense within the world they're depicting. But I did love the way it was staged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's reminiscent of the chase scene, in, car chase in We Owned the Night, which James Gray directed about 10, 12 years ago. Um, in that film, the car chase takes place um, with a perspective only inside one car and this wasn't quite as restricted of that but it was kind of similar instead of giving you many wide views you're basically there with Brad Pitt with the rising suspense of seeing these guys in the distance getting closer and closer and seeing how he handles the 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 danger I thought that was really well shot I think what bothered me though was um, the way it was staged the way it played out it reminded me of that terrible boat chase sequence near the beginning of Quantum of Solace like it was better than that. <laughs> it, 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 it was better than that. As well, there's the amazing shot when um, one of the buggies crashed and one of them was veered off into the crater. Really cool really stuff. Really cool. He's, yeah, James Gray, you see his talent shine through in moments like that in this film. So a major problem with this movie uh, that no one's talking about, and I wish I'd, I, I, I forgot to note this down in my review, for this movie to happen, the planets literally have to align. <laughs> Earth, the moon, Mars, and Neptune all have to align. Right. Otherwise, there's no way none of this could have taken place. And for a significant period of time, too. True. Something we just gone by the wayside. Going back to what I was saying before about there being too many coincidences, it's just the laziness of the character a character gives Brad Pitt secret information he needs to continue. Character gives Brad Pitt secret information he needs to continue. When Spacecom is shown to be such a tight organization that where it's like the US military. You're not going to disobey your command. It's so rigidly ordered. So we've, we've, this made it made clear there were no one. It's very oh, we cannot talk to anyone about this. It's such a secret level, even yeah. Pitt. And yet, maybe you could maybe convince me that one person is um, has some kind of personal connection and is willing to break the protocol to help Brad Pitt on his mission. But for two in a in, in a row, given everything else we see about how Spacecom works, I can't buy into that at all. But it's worse than that because the. In, in the USB the Rizninga character gives him, it's shown that there was a prospective mutiny on board Tommy Lee Jones's ship, and he decided to kill everyone and continue the deep space exploration. And instead of um, everyone telling everyone, NASA decided to make him a hero and eulogize him. Now, she, she knows this, but her, her decision is to send Rizniga, the son of this man... Leader of Mars. Yeah, just to 
Brad Pitt to go to the space. First of all, this takes place in a five-minute piece of clunky exposition, which reminds me of that terrible scene in The Accountant where everything grinds to a halt with that so they can explain everything. But moreover, her motivation, yes, they do explain it, but it doesn't actually make sense. It has to happen in order for the plot to develop. But the thing is, this could have taken place without Ruth Negger. This could have taken place with Brad Pitt himself doing some espionage or you know, just deciding, I need to get on that ship. He could have, yeah. have been told what he's told by Ruth Negger earlier in the film. One of the what, what well, one even getting on the ship too was was super great to look at. I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was, but a question I had is why does Ruth Negger decide to reveal secret information to Brad Pitt? Um, as I understood it, she took the view that in order for justice to be done for her parents, someone needed to get out there and right this wrong. Sure, and but either bring but, him back to justice. But why does but, it have to be Brad Pitt? Why doesn't she, she just trust the other? Because she doesn't know that Brad Pitt is actually a uh, Superman. Because nobody knows that in this universe. They're just like, oh, you're the son of the legend. They don't realize that he's the amazing guy whose heartbeat never goes above 80. That's that's just secret. He, that's not, he's not a celebrity in this world. Yeah. That's just information that the the commanders know, right? So why does the leader of Mars not trust this other crew that's going off with a nuclear web bomb to blow up and think, okay, justice will be done? Why does she think, I have to tell Brad Pitt it's really important that the sun goes up? To event, you know, to right the father's wrongs. So why would why she, why does she think that? Why would she think that he would why actually did, shoot a nuclear bomb at his dad? That makes no sense well, yeah. to me. Yeah. Why? Why would she? Anyone else would do this. He has no objectivity here. I wouldn't send him if I was in her position. But it makes for, but absolutely for whatever reason that she does. Yeah, she. There are reasons we can think that the crew that they're sending won't be able to to complete the mission, right? Because we see. The co-pilot, who's now become the captain, is freaks out and is unable to, and in the stress, but how does she land? Know that? But she doesn't know that. Brad Pitt knows that. The audience know that. Brad Pitt doesn't tell her, and she decides that you're the chosen one. The son must avenge, you know, right the sins of the father or some, or some shit. <laughs> but earlier yeah, yeah, on, in- yeah. to be clear though, did she actually want him to blow up his dad? Is that, is that was that a motivation, or did she want him well, to she's- make contact? She basically said your dad I thought it was the former. She basically said your dad killed my my family and he's putting us all at risk. You need to right this wrong. Why doesn't but why doesn't she just go these guys have got a bomb. I guess they'll right that wrong. Yeah. yeah. I I would more likely trust the two very experienced astronauts but in this position. I had more problems with um the plot, right? That the plot is really if you think about it for very long one of the weak points of this film. They send Brad Pitt on this mission because he's the the son of um, Cliff. Oh man, they have such movie names in this. Clifford, Clifford Mc- McBride, McBride, Roy McBride. They send Roy McBride to um, go on this mission for two reasons: one, because of his personal connection as the son, and two, because he's his heart rate has never raised above eighty beats per minute. But then, when he arrives um, on Mars. He uh, reveals his personal... He stops being a robot and puts out an emotional plea to his father, which, though it's not explicitly said, it seems implied that it's the only thing that allows... that uh, inspires Clifford to actually reply um, and stop blanking them, right? They then decide that he's not fit for the mission anymore, even though he just completed the objective that nobody else could do. On top of that, how unreasonable is it to send this guy up because he's family, but then get upset because he has an emotional connection like a uh, family. But it, it's more than that. The message that he sent out was to the effect of, 
hello father i am your son i am here you must contact me honestly it would have he had the discretion to say hey dad it's me i haven't spoken to you in 30 years um really want to chat let's go he chose to say that himself yeah, and that and it worked and then why wouldn't nasa and why, then, why wouldn't NASA have pre-approved things at least work on some language which was a motive but got yeah, the point across as God. soon as as soon as he yeah he he used his own he he decided took his own initiative to record a personal greeting and it worked and then they freaked out like oh this guy's showing emotion we can't have that even though even if it works right surely what works is going in such a desperate mission of this is what you're going to to go with but how unreasonable is it to get upset with this guy for showing emotion when he finally uh, is near communicating with and nearing his dad who he hasn't seen in 30 years like what are the, what do you expect isn't that almost like part of the re- that would be part, would have been considered uh, you know it's unreasonable yeah it's unreasonable to expect him to maintain the same cool he's all in, that he has always kept in in missions that aren't personal to him when you're sending him on a mission that's explicitly about reconnecting with his father that would have been taken into account as part of the planning for the mission by the high level commanders that we see at the beginning they wouldn't have been surprised or thought throw this guy out it's it's unreasonable it's a strange illogicity which makes no sense in the context of the film and before we get into the end of the film I'm keen to talk about the apocalypse now, but more significantly, the heart of darkness and how it's, it's very, analogous. It's, it draw, it's very, it's very heart of darkness, and it definitely draws on apocalypse now as well. Yeah. Even in the voiceover, but it, it, the voiceover in apocalypse now is um, is more necessary because the Martin Sheen Willard character is more blank, more you know, it, it's a great performance, but. He's sort of more alienated and blank by design, whereas you, it's really not clear what Shane would be thinking, whereas there's enough between the psychological evaluation scenes and Brad Pitt's emotional breaking down on Mars and a lot of his um, pained close-ups throughout the film what he's thinking. Yes. Um, more of the Some of the more practically staged sequences are similar to Apocalypse Now. I mentioned earlier the moment where Willard um, refuses to stop the boat, but then... There's a ma- a massacre. Certainly, Pitt's character that scene didn't want to is, stop the ship. Yeah, it's very on the akin ship. to Apocalypse Now. Ship. Brad Pitt said, as Willard did, um, you know, he says, "Why are we going to stop to answer this distress call slash check on this boat to see if it's carrying weapons?" Head down um, the river on the way to the river to find this old man. Yeah, but if you um, if He's challenged on this. Um, he has to reveal. You the need to reveal. Yeah, you need All to right, reveal your secret don't. mission. Fine. Yeah. That needs to reveal. Be a secret, and then, um, as a result, something bad happens. Death. So, speaking of death, the best jump scare of the year involves um, a body convulsing in space, and then coming around from that. It's a um, baboon, and it's incredible. Killer it's baboons. so primeval, and the symbolism of that we've devolved to this. People point. going mad in space. And clawing at each other, biting that, each other's faces. And this is where, you know, just like where the life could come to. It's a great, broadly symbolic. Well, the thesis of Kubrickan this film is that there's idea. no. Is the thesis of this film is that there's no aliens. So they managed to create otherworldly horror from something that exists on Earth. It's plausible scientifically that there'd be some kind of mad space experimentation involving balloons baboons there could be manic space experimentation involving balloons too i'd love to see that probably both but um yeah totally plausible and it's it's a really surreal image it's scary it's terrifying baboons floating around in zero gravity mauling people and no one's i've never seen anything like this anywhere so it's great when it comes i agree so the end of the film so brad pitt 
hijacks the spaceship effectively and everybody tragically accidentally dies yep (laughs) but there's video of it so we know he's quote-unquote innocent he rocks up oh by the way when it comes to the end of the movie he's a scot-free he should be in prison back on earth for all this well it's questionable if he say if he saved literally the entire human race i imagine that that would be um that that would be taken into account kind of like oh what's the terrible battleship movie but sir i saved the world oh all right then sure right um but that moment when he boards the shuttle that's going to the neptune neptune yeah the lima project was strange for me because when brad pitt comes on the ship and says you need me i'm the only one that can do this i thought why well, he knows that the other person is not competent to do this, he the know, leader yeah. of the mission. But he conveniently didn't tell Spacecom that. He he didn't want to embarrass his co-pilot who couldn't land the ship on Mars. He says, I'm not going to report this to Spacecom. He probably should have. If, if he did, maybe he would have been on that ship officially. Yeah, you could, he, he should have just said, hey, um, check the logs. Here's what happened. Maybe you want to send this guy who knows what he's doing. Yeah, maybe maybe you don't want to send the guy who can't <laughs> can't pilot a ship. Yeah, can't and, land a ship. And maybe that guy wouldn't have died. So, maybe all of them wouldn't have died if he had actually continued to follow protocol. So they all die in pretty shocking ways. Yeah, Brad Pitt zooms Matthew McConaughey style across the solar system to Neptune, finds his dad through the mini asteroid belt surrounding Neptune or the rings. And it's a big anticlimax, but in a way that I actually found pretty affecting. And actually more satisfying emotionally than running into Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. It's really well done because these sorts of reunions and fairly after 30 years not speaking to anyone, you wouldn't be this enigmatic figure. You'd be downtrodden. You'd be sad. And maybe, you know what? This, there could be disappointment. Maybe he isn't excited to see his son after these years. Maybe he never wanted to see him. Maybe that was the relationship. And coming to terms with that yeah. is a huge arc of its character. And I, it's something you don't really see, certainly on this scale of magnitude. It's really the son has to confront that his father didn't want him. And the father needs to confront failure. All of what Tommy Lee Jones is, has been doing, Clifford McBride... Uh, what a name! Um, all that Clifford McBride has been doing has been a- about um, trying to escape and being unable to admit his failure. The, you know, he wants to show that he is um, committed to this mission. Ba- basically, uh, obsession with the mission has taken over everything, and now he's being confronted by his son. Uh, which is such a that that I feel you really feel that like that's the moment of acknowledging the failure. Oh, no one what, wants to be seen to be a, a failure by their son. Um, what I like that he it, it's still unclear the message he sent back, but it was probably something to the effect of "Don't come find me. I don't want to see you," which would be which is pretty brutal. Oh, so the depiction of the sh- shuttle itself, all the bodies for thirty years have just been floating there. It's terrifying. It's eerie, and it and he didn't need some. Man sitting in a wise man sitting in a chair expounding on the universe. He was a failure. At the end, yeah. At the end of the day, it's a guy who's a failure who is still trying to rationalize things, trying to convince Brad Find Pitt to life out there. stay with me and stay on this mission because it's easier to try and convince somebody else to stay on this mad path with you than it is to just look his son in the eyes and say, "I left you, and and it didn't work out." Think about the um. Talking about this is making me like the film more. Yeah. Um, thematically, it's great. If you have, you know, you if you left your family for a mission, it really needs to have worked. 
yeah. and now he he's being for some context for those who haven't his seen son. it. Um, Brad Pitt was approximately nine when his dad left. He disappeared 16 years later, and this is 30 years after that. Yeah. So it's his whole life. Like He wanted to be the hero going back, and he wasn't, which made his subsequent death scene all the more powerful. And it's much more analogous there from Apocalypse Now to Heart of Darkness because Kurtz actually dies. I'm reading, sorry, Heart of Darkness now. Kurtz actually dies on the way back down the river. And the death scene of Tommy Lee Jones, it's morbid. It's actually, it's tragic. Tommy, yeah. Because it's of, he, it was so of There was nothing own, for, it was, it was of his, his making, yeah. It was of his there making. Were, yeah. There was nothing for Tommy Lee Jones back on up. No. All, all, there, all there would be for somebody who's been this obsessed with staying the course is shame. And um, further, the... And, and also the acknowledgement of his consequences. He's gone to a far off place in the universe where he can stay dedicated to this ideal and not face any consequences for murdering a whole lot of people. Uh, so, and the subsequent sequence where Brad Pitt docks into the um, ship, look, it wasn't just level. It was still quite good. I enjoyed it. It was fun to watch. It reminded me a little bit of um, Angels and Demons, the scene where Wellington's um, like falling through the stratosphere, but he has something just to break his fall and he manages to use the door to knock off the, the rock missiles. That was that it was much better than Angels and Demons and that was quite good. As was the um, nuclear launch, the core-style, Independence Day style, we're going to outrun this nuclear blast. Right. And that was pretty fun. Um, but, yeah, the, these kind of fun elements, like Brad Pitt surfing. Yeah, moon door. surfing, yeah. Moon, yeah. yeah. Um, Just kind of feel out of place in a film that's so serious. To me, I think the seriousness of the tone of this, combined with Brad Pitt as a as a cold, emotionally distant character... Part of why it didn't work for me, but also I think will definitely mean that this film won't work. And it seems like it isn't working, looking at some of the reactions for a mass audience. Um, it's, I think commercial filmmaking these days tends to have a bit of zing to it. You compare this to Gravity, it's a much more um, exciting, emotionally direct kind of film in, in its design. This film is skewing towards the contemplative, but it also has these moments of action. Um, I, don't, I don't think they all... It kind of works together that well. I didn't mind. I didn't mind those moments as much as I minded the action scene earlier. For the reason the action scene, while not making sense, was extraneous. At Brad Pitt, as super cool as it was for him to swing around on this thing and on the antenna and then surf off. Yes, it was out of another movie, but it still made sense that this character could. And would do that. The same with the nuclear explosion. I understand why he blew up the shuttle because he wanted to stop the cosmic rays or whatever going back to Earth. So it it was logical within the story. So I didn't mind it, even though there was some particular outrageous flourishes compared to what is otherwise a incredibly muted emotional journey. Um, so it, the, it was fine. It was fine by me. End of the day. Um, end of the day. I I think the biggest problem for me is I just wasn't taken by Brad Pitt's emotional journey personally whether it's because so much of it is being communicated through the voiceover that I found patronizing and, and um, over explanatory and not that well written um, I'm not sure but I think it was a portrait of grief I think it's a much better portrait of grief than first man I'll and, agree on that and father and as Rod alludes earlier father son dynamics I think and if it's set against this epic i think james gray is really good at interpersonal drama and i think there isn't that much of this in this film and it really starts to come to life more in the scenes between tommy lee jones and brad pitt at the end of the film because that's him playing to his strengths i don't think 
that he managed to depict the interiority of Roy McBride on his journey, even though that's what a huge amount of the film is about. But I, th- I think the character's still remote to me. Look, it, it didn't work as well as, say, The Lost City of Z, first of all, because that was aspirational, and you had a better relationship between, a more enunciated relationship between the son, played by Tom Holland, and uh, Percy, uh, played by... Um, Garrett Hedlund? Uh, no, from um, Sons of Anarchy. Garrett? No, no. Uh, Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam. Sorry, why do, I always confuse those two. And they had more opportunity space to grow there. They had more opportunities as a sounding board. It is a little distracting hearing this constantly through voiceover. I didn't mind it as much for reasons I stated earlier, but it does veer into exposition rather than contemplation at times. And But having said that, on balance, I was along for this ride. I appreciated that he was articulating broad ideas of how we cope with um, wonder and confusion and dismay and shock and horror and curiosity at the vast expanse, but at the same time dealing with those other else eternal issues in the context of a familiar relationship. Mm. I was long for it. I think there were broad strokes, but the problem was there was no relationship to bounce off. There were no flashbacks. There were no, uh, to hit them in here as a kid because they didn't spend any time together. There was no, and I did, I'm not saying I wanted this, but an explanation of their relationship rather than just a couple of lines prior to Tom Lee Jones having left would have given this film a little more grounding than it needed. Um, otherwise, um, him being completely absent from his life entire, but we're not given really enough of who Brad Pitt was or who McBride was. No. And we need, we did need just a little bit more, even if it was a few lines, just to give us that basis for what is the nature of his relationship. I mean, it's a little left a little open ended as to how he ever related to his father, let alone his wife. Yeah, <laughs> the that, entire that's the, the wife shouldn't be in the film. But the yeah, the character is almost actually. No, I, I I lie. It is actually touched on in passing and obliquely with reference to the question about Brad Pitt's character not having children. True, yeah. His character is a very strange one for a conventional Hollywood film. This isn't a conventional Hollywood film. I know it's not a conventional Hollywood film, but it's budgeted and marketed and released like one. Fine by me. He's a he, he's yeah, he's a very strange character, right? He's a he's a person who tries to show no emotion and internalizes everything, which makes him um God, I can just feel the contradiction in what this film is. It's a film about a character who tries to hide all his emotions, and yet we have a voiceover constantly explaining what he's feeling. The two just don't really go on go that well together. I think. I think this would be a lot better with leaving that mysterious, leaving you to wonder. And anyway, maybe it, it's just it's kind of like halfway there in two different directions. And one last thing about this. Why would NASA no longer send deep space missions? I mean, I appreciate this one went wrong 30 years ago, but surely there's A, opportunities to retrieve the data from that mission, but B, send them to other parts of space or send them to Neptune and have a crew who can make sure they can take on this individual should he so be um, con- confrontative. Yeah, you, you, would, combative. you would think that there would have been a nut- more um, attempts to... Not every crew is going to fall apart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't buy that, oh, this happened. We're not sending anyone past Saturn now. You really need to just take this film as the emotional journey of Brad Pitt as opposed to understanding 
the plot as anything literal because it falls apart oh, so very we're not, easily. We're not told about time. How much time did it take for him to get from Mars to Neptune? It's I think it said clear. it was like 72 days. Oh, so they did. Okay, they yeah, did. Yeah. All right, so that's, they did. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. That's all right. A lot less time than it took Tommy Lee Jones, however long ago. Yeah. All right, so that is Sad Astra. It is sad. Is Ad Astra is actually short for sad astronaut. I I'd say go see it. Yeah, you know, I would say go see it too. Um, it's it, it, one I of the best mainstream releases you'll get. Probably, and also, it's it needs the money. Cowboys. It needs the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this 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 film is really. It feels like one of the last of its kind, because this kind of Disney aren't going to release another movie like this no, for a long time. This ki- yeah, this kind of risk taking. It's, um, in making a really director's vision-driven film feels already like a bit of an anomaly. In the To have this kind of budget, this is apparently an $80 million film. I'd, and A lot of that went to Pitt's salary. Probably. But yeah, given the... And the, well, the CGI is all over this film. Um, but given the state of the industry and how brand-oriented everything is these days, it, it does feel like a film from a different age already. Yeah. So, and I, I would love people to speculate as to when the film actually takes place. I'm going to say, what, 2060? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I love that Virgin Atlantic have, you can pay for a pillow on a flight to the moon for 125 USD. Uh, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> I didn't, I was surprised. Oh, there's a Starbucks. Was it Starbucks? Uh, there was there a were... Yoshinoya and an huh. Applebee's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was strange to me that, um, it's Virgin Atlantic instead of Virgin Galactic. Oh, yeah. They, they, surely brands would have changed that by then. Yeah. Oh, so one touch I really liked at the very beginning, how it looks like it's a space station, then it becomes apparent it's actually a grounded antenna and just gives you an idea of the scale and development that um, has, humankind has gone through. It's a great touch. World building is fantastic in this. Yeah. I wanted to see more of that. And the Mars stuff. Honestly, Mars just felt like Blade, Las Vegas and Blade Runner 24 to land. See where they go into the dungeon. And then that 94-esque world. Very similar production design. Yeah. So that is... I look forward to what James Gray does next. Yeah. It seems like he's going back to the indie world. Trump will be a character in his next film, apparently. Oh, oh dear. We'll see how it goes. We'll see. So thank you for joining us for our Ad discussion. That is in cinemas now, as is Good Boys and The Dead Don't Die is in cinemas tomorrow. Legend is playing Friday night, 8.30 p.m. at Palace Cent- Cinema Central. And the Copia, the Korean Film Festival Australia, are playing the retrospective, like the Italian Boom. Film Festival's on now. Yep, lots of stuff on. And, yep, it's been great. <laughs> Tune in next week for Joker and J- uh, Will Smith times two. Yeah. Will, Will Smith, Smith. Um, have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. This has been Glenn Falcons and Chris Evans and Veronica Roo. Take care. Okay, good night.